Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is the Secret Library Podcast. I'm Caroline Donahue. As a lifelong book lover, I've been hanging out with books as long as I can remember. Here on the show, we're going inside the world of books and learning what's involved in going from brilliant idea to finished manuscript and what it takes to get it out in the world. You'll hear from authors, publishers, editors, and all kinds of professionals whose work brings you what you read every day. The Secret Library Podcast is sponsored by Muse Monthly, a subscription box for literature and tea lovers. Get a brand new novel custom paired with a full box or tin of tea on your doorstep every month. Visit musemonthly.com and use the code SECRET00, all one word in all caps, for 10% off your subscription. I'm here for another episode of the Secret Library podcast, and today my guest is Mary Laura Philpot, who is the author and illustrator of the humor book Penguins with People Problems. She's also the editor-in-chief of Musing, the online magazine produced by Parnassus Books, and she's the co-host of the literary interview program A Word on Words. She's also an essayist and columnist whose writing is featured regularly in major media. So thank you for being with us, Mary Laura. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Yeah. So... I'm really excited to talk about humor in books oh, good. because <laughs> um, we've had a lot of laughs on the show, but we haven't talked about writing humor yet. So you started with a Tumblr for Penguins with People Problems, and then it became a book. Am I right? Yes. It actually, if you dial it back a notch before that, I have, um, I have a little personal blog I keep on the side. It's called I Miss You When I Blink dot com, and it's where I put... <laughs> I know it's weird. It's where I put weird little things that kind of pop off my keyboard when I first sit down to work in the morning on real work. It's sort of like burning off, burning off the alcohol on a sauce, you know? Nice. This is the crazy stuff I write before I write my real stuff. And I post it on my blog. So it actually started there. Oh, nice. And it started when Random House and Penguin Books merged. Do you remember that a few years ago? Yeah. And now everyone's like, Penguin Random House, what? Yeah, it's like a big thing. And, and it was huge. Everyone was talking about it. And the joke that everybody made was, what are they going to call the new company? Maybe they'll, <laughs> maybe they'll call it Random Penguin. And, yeah. you know, every, most people made that joke once and then moved on. And I really latched onto it. And uh, on my little blog, I drew, I posted some drawings that are basically like finger paint. It's really primitive drawings because I'm not an artist of what I imagined Random Penguins would be. <laughs> Here's a penguin who thinks she can wear red lipstick, but she can't. And here's the penguin who went on a bad date and, you know, things like that. And I started posting them on my blog and people started commenting, more, 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 penguins, (laughs) which was hilarious and great. But I didn't necessarily want to turn my blog into just penguin pictures. So then I spun it off and started a Tumblr and called the Tumblr the Random Penguins. Nice. And I had probably been posting a penguin a day for about a year when I got the call from Penguin Random House that I thought was going to be a lawyer, but it was not a lawyer, um, that they wanted to turn it into a book. And so when we started That's thinking about, amazing. yeah, when we started thinking about what, you know, what to call the book, we could have called it the Random Penguins, I guess. But what really had emerged clearly as a theme with these birds was humiliation, shame, embarrassment. There, 
grudges, like all the things that you're not very proud of as a human being become funny when a bird does it. Yeah, it's like secret vulnerabilities. Like the right. I, one of the ones I love was like when you accidentally touch the water on a counter in a restroom and like yank your hand back like it's shark vomit, but it's really just water. <laughs> right. But it surprises you so much. And it's like, oh, God. Yeah. And people see you do it and they're like, what is wrong with you? So <laughs> that's how it ended up with the title, Penguins with People Problems. I love it. Yeah. Nice. So I, I think... One thing I want to highlight here, which I think is great, is that everybody has all this fear about writing because they think, oh, if I take do something risky, like I think a lot of people would be fearful of mm -hmm. highlighting a major company like, you know, Penguin Random House, as we now right. say. Now I feel like I'm going to say Random Penguin House or something. Um, <laughs> you will. <laughs> I will. I'm going to screw Sorry. up by the end of the show. It's okay. <laughs> but um, But that they would, that the only response, like you thought, was going to be vindictive but right. that sometimes people have a sense of humor and are excited about what you're doing and it's okay and you get a book deal out of it that was a beautiful surprise the editor who I worked with who is still at Penguin Random House she's at a different imprint now but her name is Meg Later and she was such a hoot in that first phone call like I knew she had a sense of humor she got it she was so delightful to work with the whole time. And it was so refreshing in that way that like, we have not just taken this fun, quirky thing and made it corporate. She really preserved the weird quirkiness of it. We had a whole, we had a whole 20 minute conversation once on the phone about which curse words we felt like we could put in the book. And, <laughs> and, and, and we ranked them by like, all right, so F word, that's at the top. Of the oh, list. you can say you them go on down. the show. Okay. It's okay. Okay. So we discussed how many fucks can you put in a book? How many fucks can you put in a book? that has cartoons, that even though the book is clearly not for children, it has kind of a cute cover and a kid might pick it up in a bookstore. So we decided zero fucks. Zero fucks. So we, we gave the book zero fucks. It does have one bitch and it has one damn. And, we, <laughs> and that's where we drew the line. But that's how much fun it was to work on and how, how much of a sense of humor Penguin Random House had about it. So I find it really optimistic that a company we assume is a big box, you know, yeah. we have all these like corporate, you know, must be really soulless and look like the cubicles in the matrix, you know, <laughs> and that there's nobody funny in there. But of course there is like we've all worked in offices, at least most of us have. Anybody right. who deals with writing has another job as you who have discussed the right overemployment problem um, <laughs> is you know, people in there want to laugh too. They do. And really, the, one of the beautiful things that I have learned over time working in various aspects of the book industry as a, in a bookstore and as a writer and as just a person who reads is all of these publishers, whether you're talking about a little publishing house or a big publishing house that's made up of a lot of imprints, are made up of people, all of whom are there because they love books and they love to read. Some of them are aspiring writers. Some of them are working writers in addition to working at a publisher. They're, they're all quirky and interesting and funny and smart. And of all the various big corporate entities out there, I think publishers, at least in my opinion, are that's a place where it's, it, things don't feel so corporate, or at least they don't to me. I feel like it's made up of all these wonderful people who are also kind of my friends in real life. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's like a publishing house is not a bank, I think. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So how was, I mean, you did 365, presumably, penguin drawings on your mm -hmm. blog or your penguin blog. 
Mm-hmm. And or Tumblr, if I'm going to use the correct terminology, <laughs> I guess I'll get there with the kids. But um, how how is it to sustain a topic? You know, once you get into the humor, did you find it got more easier or less easy? Because we were just at um, XOXO conference this past weekend yeah. and saw David Reese speak, who was doing political cartoons for a long time yes. and got to a point where he's like, I can't do one more clip art snarky political comment i'm gonna lose my mind so right how how are you sustaining this topic is, is it just weird penguin things come to you all the time and you're like a channeler or or how does that work that is a great question um i think in the beginning i had so many little weird ideas built up that i probably could have done 10 a day for a few months and not run out it also, I think, helped that for a long time, I didn't really think anybody was watching. Like, <laughs> you know, like I have a blog following and I had a Tumblr following, but they're strangers and there aren't millions of, I mean, they number in the thousands, not the millions. So it wasn't like I thought, oh, you know, the, the eyes of the nation are on my penguins. Um, so thinking that nobody's watching helps. When we started, when the book was coming out and I was keeping on putting penguins out every day because I knew, okay, well, I have to sort of publicize the book by continuing to do new cartoons, I was aware in the back of my mind that more people were watching. And that did, I have to admit, put a little added difficulty on it because all of a sudden I was like, oh, you know, my publisher is watching. The bookstores are watching. People are watching what I'm doing. I got over that pretty quickly. I think if anything, the toughest time I've had sustaining cartooning has been this year. And I'm, I think I'm going to blame Donald Trump. Okay. I think I'm going to blame the election. It is hard Humor is hard to do in bad times and it can, it, it, it can be done and it can be done beautifully. Saturday Night Live is like a fantastic example of that. But I have felt very much, especially this past summer, like I need to be quiet because there's so much noise in the world and so many people screaming, I have an opinion, listen to me, look at me. And I think my natural somewhat introverted reaction is to go, okay, you guys do all the screaming I'm going to go over here under this rock. And so I haven't been doing as many penguins. I've just kind of started back again. Matthew Inman, who, who the oatmeal is his cartoon. That's mm-hmm. who he is online, has a great post about this very question that you're asking of how do you sustain something, especially something along a theme or something that, you know, a strip of cartoons or whatever. And he says, he says this so much more eloquently and hilariously than I'm going to. But basically it's like, Reading and going outside and taking in the world is like inhaling and drawing cartoons is exhaling. And he's, he was explaining that he had kind of been absent from his cartooning for a while. And he said, I needed to go take some in some inhales so I could exhale. So I've definitely felt that at times. Like I can't, I need to consume a little bit and rest a little bit before I produce again. Yeah. I think it sounds like having the right conditions is important because you look at things like, oh, John Stewart, why did you leave us this year? But um, <laughs> really, oh, oh I, I just can't. John Stewart, if you listen to my my podcast, which would be a miracle, then <laughs> please tell us why you left us during the Come year back. of Donald Trump being a candidate in Come back, John Stewart. our presidential Come back. election. But it just seems like, you know, knowing your topic and that, you know, these are not it seems political penguins. No, they're not. I did. Although I did the other day, I, um, 
I got stung by some kind of like hornet or wasp or tiny flying dragon. I don't know what it was, but it stung me. And within seconds, my leg looked like raw meat. It was gross and it hurt so bad. And I, in my brain, I think I somehow combined that experience with what I was feeling about a lot of other things in the world. And I drew, you can see it on my Instagram. uh, I drew a hornet with Donald Trump's face. (laughs) And it made me feel a lot better. (laughs) You know, you got to do what you can. God. Yeah. I'm one of those people who reacts real bad to um, insect bites. And that is no joke. It was a little scary, actually. I ate a bunch of Benadryl and and I was fine, but my leg looked gross for a long time. So that's how I, that's how I process two bad things at the same time. Well, it's like healing through creativity. Right. It's real. It's a thing. So in, in digging around on your internet world, it looks like there may be a new direction for the penguins because I'm seeing some not just penguins with people problems, but penguins with parenting problems as well. <laughs> Have they sucked you into a new book no, or is this just a new that, topic? That was so much fun. Okay, so we did those. I don't know why I say we. It's just me. It's like me and the birds who live in my mind. <laughs> you and the birds. Together, I mean, the birds and, the and I did that. That was a little series that we did last year. Um, it was right around the time the book came out. And I, I used to write, um, I had written a, a series of columns for the New York Times, parenting and like home life. It's now called Well Family. Um, but it's a, a column where they talk about just what life is like as a parent. And I had written for them about my family's move to Nashville and about a few other things. I had sort of a recurring column going there. And my editor there, KJ Delantonia, who is a fantastic writer in her own right and also very funny. So everybody go follow KJ. I think she's working on a book right now. Had said, please, I know they're not about parenting, but would you just make for us six people with parenting? I mean, that's not right. Penguins with parenting problems. Yeah. Penguins with parenting problems. And so I did. And it was really fun. I mean, once you kind of start going down that angle, it's like that could go on forever. Yeah. There's a lot of ways that's such a taboo topic, like bad parents, but people eat that up. Like those right. Instagram memes, like the the people with the kid in the backpack sitting on him in the subway, you know? Yeah. It's just like, oh no. So yeah, but do you, so that was a commissioned penguin experience. Yes. Yes. That was, those were six little commissioned penguins. So uh, do you have plans to do a future book or are you just hanging with the book? Right now I'm hanging with this book because it's just been out a year and I feel like I'm yeah. still, like I, it's still to me in my mind, the book is a toddler and I'm still like teaching it how to be out in the world. How was it to see it as a book instead of, you know, on the screen online? Really fun. I mean, the again, I keep going back to how brilliant people are who work in publishing, but they all have such different skills. And there are artists at Penguin Random House who focus on cover art. And they had the sense to go, okay, you can't just put one penguin on a white background on a cover. That's going to be a very stark looking book. And so they came up with the idea of what if you did a few of them going across in a lineup. And so seeing it like that was so different, taking it out on the road and and signing it for people. We did an event in New York where um, for two hours I sat at a big conference and people could come by and tell me their problem and I would draw it as a penguin. <laughs> we, had, we had a big sign over my head that said, what's your problem? <laughs> people were curious, so they came over and then they found out that they could be drawn as a bird and they loved it. So that was so funny because people, 
people will really open up to a stranger. It's so, I mean, people would come up and go, well, I'm in the middle of a divorce. <laughs> okay, I, I can draw this. I can do it. One little guy, one little teenager came up and he goes, my problem is I don't have a girlfriend. And I said, oh, okay, well, I can draw you one, but she's going to be a bird because it's the only thing I know how to draw. And so I drew him this really cute little penguin girlfriend. But it, it was a funny experience to see it change from just a, a cartoon that I kind of throw out into the ether and turn into something that's a book that people have in their hands that they, they're holding and that I'm signing. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, and that, I wonder... How has that influenced your experience since? Because you said it was much easier to draw these things thinking nobody was looking at them. But now you've met people who are actively looking at them. So yeah. how does that shift that? You know, I think that plays well into the whole idea of producing something under your own name. Because for, you know, for a long time, the, the Tumblr didn't have my name anywhere on it. It was not connected to my website. It was not connected to anything. And I used to keep this really stark line between what I do professionally. And I used to do a ton of freelance writing, which I don't do quite as much of anymore. And then what I would do under my own, like my own weird things. And I kept them very, very separate. And sort of as this book was coming out and as it was, you know, I have to stand behind it. My name is on this. I made these things. I was also at the same time, doing a lot more writing under my own name. I had been doing that series for the New York Times. I had started writing um, articles and columns and things that were coming out other places. So getting comfortable with not being anonymous was part of that whole process. And I think I'm still kind of getting there with that. Like I, I know I can't be anonymous. I can't walk through the world with nobody knowing who I am. But the introvert part of me always has a moment when a new article comes out or, or something and my name is on it where I'm like, oh, somebody's going to see that. Yeah. I think that's true because I think about writing and obviously podcasting and right. other things is like, I'm very okay with people knowing what my name is. I just don't want them to connect it to my physical self so that I'm like right. in Trader Joe's in crappy sweatpants, you know, deciding, do I want to get the chocolate covered banana slices and have somebody be like, Hey, you know, I live in Los Angeles. I see what happens to people when people recognize them. And I do not want that happening to me. So I think, I, I think, yeah. you know, starting out as an introvert, writing is appealing because nobody knows who you are. And, yeah. and to lose that, I can imagine would be a little terrifying. It is. Well, I mean, just like you have this podcast now and people who don't know you like strangers know the sound of your voice. Like if you called up one of your listeners and said, hey, it's me, they would know who you were because they know your voice. And that's, that's so different from hiding behind a screen and just putting words out there. This, this past year, I've, well, not, it's been longer than a year now, but I've, um, I've been hosting this, co-hosting this little television program on Nashville Public TV, and it's called A Word on Words. So it's always uh, either me or my co-host, J.T. Ellison, who is another writer here in Nashville. It's one of us with a guest author. And it's kind of like this, but on camera. And it is the first camera work I have ever done in my life. And that took me a lot of getting used to. Like, that. not even that somebody's watching it once it's out, because I don't really go back and watch them once they air but just the fact that as I'm having this conversation with a person and we're just laughing and having this natural conversation, there are three cameras and these really bright lights over us. And 
you know, out in LA, you're probably used to that. There are probably cameras on every street corner. But it, to me, that was a very foreign, foreign experience. I'm still, still getting used to it. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I mean, we see camera crews everywhere, but there's not like, you know, it's not like people talk about London where there's those street cams, you know, for right. the police everywhere. But it's, right. I think the idea, most of us know somebody who's been on camera, but yeah. I don't want to be that person. So yeah. I'm impressed. I mean, the topic is enticing enough that you get to talk about. Right. That helps. Losing yourself in the topic is the key. Otherwise, if you keep thinking about the fact that there's three dudes like four feet away from you with cameras pointed at your nostrils, it's, it's sort of disorienting. There's actually, there's a reality show shooting down the street from my house. I'm thinking about this while we're talking because I'm looking out my window. Um, and just thinking about cameras on every street corner. They've rented this house down the street from me. And it's called a reality show, but nothing happens in real time. Like last week they were shooting the Halloween episode and there's everyone's in costumes and there's skulls all out in the yard. So I don't know, like that's not going to be very realistic when that comes on in October. Yeah, reality know. TV is not real, I think. It's not real at all. It's very strange. I know people who are story editors for reality TV. Oh, so it's a lot more scripted than we think, isn't it? Even if people are not on book while they're in a show, mm -hmm. I think they, you know, they go back, they have tons of footage. They film just crazy amounts of footage. And then someone has to go back through and decide what the threads and the stories are that are interesting. And mush it all together. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was so tickled when I found out what the first time we shot an episode of our little show we got to the end of the conversation and they were like, great, you're done. And, and I was like, started to get up out of my chair and they're like, nope, not done yet. And there's this part where they bring the camera in right in front of my hands because I talk with my hands. So they always get, I guess you call it B-roll of my hands moving to put that with me talking. I guess so that if I'm talking and I make a weird face and they want to cut away from my face, they can show my hands making my little hand gestures. That to me just tickled me to pieces. I thought that was so weird and funny and, you know, it's, it's totally normal in TV, I guess. It's, it's weird. I mean, have you been, have you been recognized yet from your show? I mean, this comes on Nashville public television, so. But you live <laughs> not, in Nashville, so it's well, not like it's Nashville that. public television and you live in Minnesota or something. Okay, good point. Occasionally, every now and then I'll be in the in the bookstore and a customer will come in and, and say, I saw you last night with Lauren Groff or whoever. Um, and that's kind of fun. That's adorable. Well, I guess a bookstore would probably be the most likely location, given that yeah. it's a book show. Yeah, exactly. That's our that's our audience right there. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing. And then you are in the world of the bookstore as well. Yes, I am. So one of my day jobs is as the social media director at Parnassus Books in Nashville. So um, all the stuff we do on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram is, is me. And we have an online magazine called Musing that lives at ParnassusMusing.net. And uh, that's where Ann Patchett, who is our, she co-owns the store along with Karen Hayes. Her blog lives there. We have interviews like this, but written down um, there. We have book reviews every one of my favorite parts it's the hardest thing to produce just technically but it's one of my favorite things we do every month all of our booksellers chime in and everybody recommends a book Ooh. so it's like our it's like our staff picks what's coming out this month and they're so they 
they're so wide ranging because everybody has different tastes. And I, I love putting that out there because I feel like whoever's reading, they probably have one or two booksellers that they know, okay, that's, that's so-and-so she has my taste. Let's see what she likes this month. That's, so that's amazing. Great. I love, I am obsessed with book recommendations. Oh. I know that we're going to talk about that, which yes. is so exciting because despite the fact that we have so many books in my house, because I am a compulsive book buyer, which I have discussed on the show before, and I am marrying a compulsive book buyer, um, which is, you know, obviously you want someone with the same taste, but I'm afraid that we're going to end up on hoarders eventually. <laughs> there the should be a show, Book Hoarders. <laughs> um, so I still want to know about more books. I'm like not more satisfied. Books. Always more okay. books. Let's what are you, what are you excited books. about? Okay. I'm, I'm excited about so many and I, I like pulled them. They're all sitting around me in a stack. Okay. Did you read The Girls by Emma Klein? Have you read that one yet? Not yet, but I have it on my, okay. I've so got it, went, it on the Kindle. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you two books to put with that as read-alongs. Okay. So now you're going to have like read these three books because it's, it is fantastic. I totally enjoyed it just like everybody else in the world. If you like it and you like that time it's set in, that summer of love, 1969, 1970. The groovy time. T- yeah, teenage angsty stuff. Two other books you need to read. One is called The Risen mm. by Ron Rash. That's a crazy it, name he's got. Ron Rash. And isn't it sort of fun to say Ron Rash? And he's the quietest, most, he's just this, he's a poet and also a novelist. And he lives just outside Asheville. And he's one of the most beautiful writers alive everything he writes I just eat up but it's this really skinny little book called The Risen and it takes place in the same year and there are also teenagers in it but it's written kind of as a flashback because something bad happens that summer and they're trying to uncover what really happened Uh, and then the other one that you would read along with all this is called Cruel Beautiful World I have Mm. a hard time I have a hard time saying the word cruel 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 beautiful world by Caroline Lovett, or leave it, love it or leave it. Uh, <laughs> I, sh- I sent her a text before this to ask her, how do I pronounce your last name? And I didn't hear back. Um, but it's coming out from Algonquin in October. The Risen by Ron Rash is already out. Awesome. Cruel Beautiful World comes out in October. It is set in that same year. Uh, also has a teenage protagonist, a young girl who is 16, and she runs away, and her family doesn't know what has become of her. And so they, over the course of the book, figure out where she went. And then she also narrates some of the story. And so there, it's got a little bit of a mystery, kind of a where did she go? But then it also has this very introspective, why do teenage girls do the things they do? And what is it they're really looking for when they do these things? And it's also just a beautiful family story. And both of those books are so quiet in a way that, that The Girls by Emma Klein is not. I feel like The Girls was like a big, splashy, splashy book. And both of these although all good, are a little quieter, a little more, I don't want to say more literary because I don't want to imply that The Girls is not literary, but just really beautiful writing. So I would put all three of those together. Nice. Obviously, you're going to read Commonwealth by Ann Patchett. Oh my God, I already have it. I was good. like, pre-order, baby. <laughs> good. It is everything. She is, I might faint if I met her. I would get so excited. <laughs> it really is so good and it was unexpectedly funny it's got some really I mean it's a heartbreaking in some ways book but it's oh gosh it's got some great like family humor you know there's always the person in the family that everybody rolls their eyes about it's got tons of that good stuff in it 
Uh, so you have to read that. I'm in the middle of reading right now because she's coming for the Southern Festival of Books. Danielle Dutton has written a book called Margaret the First. Mm. And it's a teeny little skinny book. It came out from Catapult earlier this year. And it is about Margaret Cavendish. Oh. She was a 17th century British duchess. And if you told me that, I would probably go, no, thank you. I don't need to read that. I have nothing in common with a 17th century British duchess. But what is amazing about this book, she was kind of a rebel. She um, didn't quite fit in and had this life that was very creative. And she felt a lot of strain around who she was and where she fit and what she was doing with her life. And the way that Danielle Dutton makes it clear what a contemporary struggle that is, it's so universal that after about a chapter, I wasn't thinking about a 17th century duchess anymore. I was just nodding like, yeah, Margaret, Margaret the first. I totally agree with you. <laughs> in 2016, we are the same. <laughs> I, I have a weird Tudor England obsession. So like you had me at 17th century English oh, duchess. So like well, that plus, oh, I'm excited about that. You are going to love it. And I'm excited because I get to talk to her when she is here Ooh. in October for the Southern Festival of Books. What else is awesome? Oh, Jade Chang, The Wangs versus the World. Uh, my friend Rachel Fertilizer, who works for the publisher, told me about it and said, you might like it. And I loved it. It is about uh, a family, a Chinese family in California. The dad comes over to sort of find his American dream. And he raises this family. And the children grow up and go off. One daughter goes off to New York. And then a son goes to college. And then there's another daughter who's in boarding school. And while the children are off leading their lives, the dad, who has become a multimillionaire in the cosmetic industry, loses everything. So basically, the bottom falls out of his American dream, and he decides what he is going to do is drive cross-country with his new wife and collect all the children and end up at the oldest child's house. She's in her late 20s. She lives in New York, and they're just all going to live together. This is the thing he has <laughs> in his mind. So, it, yeah, it is really funny and also just so many different little character studies happening at the same time. And it's a road trip story because they're all driving together and they, you know, add one character every few chapters. Oh, we got this one in the car now and they keep going. So it's a fantastic, like fun, interesting, very different voice than I've heard in this American dream story before. So I loved that one. It sounds, I mean, this is in a totally different direction, but did you read Esme yeah. Weijin Wang's Border of Paradise? No, I haven't read it. I mean, it's very different and it's very gothic and dark, but it's also about a family and it's about, a, there's a Chinese mother and a Caucasian American father and Mm -hmm. the dynamic with their children and that she's really wanting to protect them and they're all going to live together forever. So it's a, but it's real Gothic. Yeah. So it just made me think of it as you were talking about that one. Yeah. Those might be, those, I love to make little pairings. Those might be good to yeah. read together. I like that. When you said Gothic and dark, it reminded me of another book that is coming out, I think in October by Claire Beams called We Show What We Have Learned. Oh, I've seen that cover, I think. Have you? The cover is gorgeous and weird. Gorgeous and weird. Like, Oh, yeah. Gorgeous and weird is the best. But We Show What We Have Learned is coming out from Lookout Books, which is that teeny little press in North Carolina that does just one or two books a year. And so whatever they come out with, you know, is great because they've put all their resources behind it. And it's a little book of short stories. 
and I know this is a hackneyed expression, the whole like, if this book and this book had a baby, it would be that book. <laughs> I, li- I live in but, Hollywood. But, I Believe me. We, that's like right. our second, so, that's know. like what we say, good morning. If this and this happened, it would be this. <laughs> right. So it, it reminded me of um, one of the people who blurbed it on the back was Megan Mayhew Bergman, who is a writer I greatly admire. And she said it reminded her a little bit of Margaret Atwood. And so in my mind, I was like, it's like if Megan Mayhew Bergman's really smart feminist short stories had a baby with Margaret Atwood's strange stories and then they let the baby be babysat by Stephen <laughs> King, but just like, but just for like an hour, not enough to totally warp the baby, just, just like a little, you know, breathe on the baby. Yeah. So they're very odd little stories, but just gorgeous writing and smart, and they stick with you. Like you, you can you can read the whole thing in the, in a day, but I wanted to stretch it out. I would read like two stories and then make myself put it down. Because then I would think about them for days and days I love and days. stories like that. Well, you could, since Margaret Atwood's got a book coming out, you could read that together with that if we're doing yeah, parents. you could. You could. So you take some Margaret Atwood, take We Show What We Have Learned, and then I think of Megan's books do uh, Almost Famous Women, which is my favorite, favorite. I talk about it all the time. It's in paper book, paperback now. It's been out for a couple of years. Put all okay. those together. That's a good, there's a little three. We're going to have to do special show notes with little pairings like here's your it's like a menu you know and you go to like a tasting menu here's your reading tasting menu (laughs) and then we'll recommend the wine to drink as you as you this is definitely a pinot noir group absolutely the mothers by Britt bennett is coming out in october um it's coming out from riverhead i feel like everything riverhead publishes i love they like they know my taste but the mothers is really really entrancing it is about um it's a they call it the mothers because it starts out with this group of church ladies um in an african-american community and they're all talking about sort of how they pass stories down from one from from one to another and how they look out for the children of one another and there's this one girl in the congregation who has had i'm not going to give it away but something happens to her and then you follow her story and there's so much beautiful meditation on motherhood and also not motherhood on choosing not to have a baby and relationships between men and women and within a, within a town, within a congregation. It's fantastic. And I'm not the only one who likes it. It's getting a ton of buzz, but for good oh, reason. Man, I'm going to have to get all these books now. I know there's oh, so many. It's so good. And then there's always more. Oh, I know. I could go on forever. And you had Natasha on recently, right? Her book I just discovered this oh, summer, so Grace. Good. Oh, oh my gosh, that one just like knocked yeah. me over. I think the thing about that one, which I talked about with her, is that originally she was writing it chronologically, and the way that mm-hmm. she changed it, where it's two people's lives going back and forth, it almost reads like a crime mm-hmm. suspense novel because you like get to a cliffhanger and then you switch to the other story. And I was just like, wait, 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 what happened? And I keep going. It was just like yeah. I was completely sucked in. Totally. I told her when I met her, I said, I almost passed out reading your book because I was holding my breath. <laughs> like, I really almost fell out of my chair. That book is, is so good. I did not yeah. breathe. It's so engaging. I don't know. I really loved it. What have you read good lately? What are you reading? I am. I feel like I'm having like a, a reading crisis because I'm in the midst of, and if we're talking about like the overemployed issue, because um, I'm <laughs> doing this show, which I love. 
And then I have mm -hmm. clients that I'm working with, like helping them make time for oh, writing. Gosh. And then I'm also planning my wedding, which is happening one month from the day that we're recording. So lovely. Okay. So you're, you're running out of time because you're helping people. Plan yeah, I know time. it's absurd. So I'm, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, but I, what I've been reading for like, it's embarrassing. Like three weeks is a Donna Leone which is, she's a crime writer. And she writes this little mystery mm -hmm. series that it's this little kind of scruffy but sweet detective who lives in Venice and named Guido Brunetti. And my oh, aunt, good. who's a professor at Vassar, I, we tend to have really similar taste. And so she's like, you gotta, mm -hmm. if you're under a bunch of stress, just read a bunch of Donna Leone. It's just gonna be... And I do tend to like, I'm one of those people who like watches law and order when I'm stressed out or it's like, I want to yeah. see a problem and I want to see it get solved. And if I read a book where it's like something yeah. bad happened and we fixed it, I'm like, okay, everything's going to be okay. But this book yeah, that's very is satisfying. like 268 pages, which for me normally is like two days. And it's been like two and a half weeks. I think I'm going to finish it today, but I'm just like, you've got a lot going on. I, I just, but I keep buying more books and I'm just like, they're stacking up. Right. They're like across the dresser. They're across right. another dresser. Right. They're like in the corners. It's like mice multiplying. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed. I can't read crime novels or watch crime shows because I get, there's a little type A part of my brain that gets really obsessed with how they should have done uh. the crime to get away with it. <laughs> You know, like as if I'm ever going to need to murder somebody and what would I do? Um, and I and I can't sleep after I watch them. Even if everything is solved and it's over, I go back and I retrace it. And I'm like, you know, he never would have been caught if he'd taken off his shoes and not left the shoe prints everywhere. You know, it just That's I get amazing. obsessed. That would be a good blog. My, like, I mean, there uh, is a lot of market for that, like the whole the, the how to create a murderer and all these shows and stuff. And then serial, of course. And oh, yeah all of that, how does it work? But I know I could see that, like, oh my God, how does it work? I tend to watch a lot of Scandinavian crime shows. I did not know that was a show. Oh, I didn't either until um, <laughs> we're going to Copenhagen next month and there's a yeah. show called The Bridge, which I seem to talk about on every episode of I this show, it. which has nothing to do with books, but it's a show that takes place between Copenhagen and Malmo and they find, there's a bridge and the dead mm -hmm. center is the border between the two countries. And so the killer drops a body right in the middle. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And so they don't know which country it's in. So they all have to work together. And it's like, oh, crazy hijinks. That's the twist. Do you watch The Americans? I haven't. <gasps> Let me change your life. <laughs> Start at the beginning. I don't even know what season we're on. Four, maybe? Because my husband and I binge watch it. And we're all caught up now. And so now I'm in that sad time, which... Like another oh, season yeah. hasn't started, but we've watched all there is. Sometime when you have time, which I'm sure is going to be never, but if it ever happens, start at the beginning. Okay. It's good. Oh, it's so dark. It's I so love good. dark and good. And I love like inhaling all of this material because I think people who mm. write, you think, oh, they're just sitting. They're just sitting in their little tower and they're, they're happily scribbling yeah. away and all they do is read books. But like, I do watch TV. I feel that I should yeah, man. get it out there. That's part of the, that's part of the inhale and exhale. You know, you got to take that stuff in. We watch the Americans. We watch, we have our, our DC shows that go from dark to light. Like the Americans <laughs> is the darkest. And then there's House of Cards, which is pretty dark. And then Veep, of course, which is hilarious in a dark comedy way. Right. 
but there we're all in between on those. I don't have any new episodes to watch. I don't. I know it's a it's, lonely a, time in television for me right it's now. It's a tweener. It's a tweener part of the season. Yeah. So how does this influence? Like you're doing social media for yourself, mm-hmm. and then you're also doing it for Parnassus Books. So how do you? I'm so how much do you better. Calibrate that? I'm so much better at doing it professionally. When I do it for the store, um, I follow all the good rules of social media. I post daily. I tag everyone appropriately. You know, our following just goes up, 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 up. When I do it for myself, I get really lazy. And I'll post something and then not post anything for a week. And I'll tag the wrong account. And so it, over in my little personal social media neighborhood, I'm just kind of doing my own little weird thing. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And I'm on Instagram, all of which I find very fun. But I yeah. don't, there's not a ton of strategy to how I use them personally. The way I use them personally is just for pure fun. Do you think that has to do with like, you see how much you can get crazy visibility through the store and it's like, ugh, I'm already on a TV show and I'm already <laughs> doing this. I'm going to, do I want to preserve yeah. my, my private space or is it just, know. I've already done this all day. I don't want to look at a screen anymore. Maybe a little bit that. I think it's also just, there are different ways of using it. You can use it in a way that has a business purpose, which is also fun. And that's what we do at Parnassus. Like it's, there's a business purpose to that. We're connecting with our readers outside the walls of our store. It is also very much fun to do that. So that's fun and business together. And then when I'm doing it for myself, it's just, it's fun. I mean, I'm tweeting at people I know, or I'm posting pictures of my dog or whatever. I, I, I try to use it professionally to do like the right things, like promote my book periodically, but also nobody wants to hear that all the time. I don't need no, to be, true. I don't need to like get up every day and tweet, Hey, I got a cartoon book about birds. Everybody knows already. No one else needs to know. <laughs> So. Or like today, I use my cartoon book about birds as a tray to bring my breakfast upstairs. <laughs> right. Tomorrow, well, I use it. it as a handy, you know, prop for this right. activity. You know, I'm doing all these weird hand gestures. <laughs> There's only no so much see. of that anybody wants to see. But I love it. I find social media a lot of fun. Um, I know there's a lot of cynicism around, you know people calling attention to themselves all the time and that it's just a big ego fest. And I definitely, that, you know, I feel that sometimes, especially right now in an election cycle, there's a lot of look at me going on out there. But, um, but I really enjoy it. I enjoy the connective aspects and the conversational aspects of social media. That's what I like when people are responding to each other and having fun with it. Yeah. I think the fact that you can have a conversation and reach out to people that you would never otherwise meet. Right. That I really love. It's almost like those of us who are holding on to the, even though I don't watch reality TV, like we're talking about earlier, right. like the myth that it's real. Mm-hmm. It's like we want the social media to be someone's actual experience or actual thoughts as opposed yeah. to like my advisors tell me I should like, you know, hot tea and eggs this week and take an attractive picture with flowers in the corner. Right, right. Yeah, but you want it to be that, real. Exactly. So what is your what is your number one tip from what you're doing with Parnassus that seems to work and feels real for book nerds? For book nerds, you know, and I don't know if this is really a tip or if this if it is a tip, I don't even know if it's a good tip, but it's what I do. I don't use, and at some point this may have to change, but I don't use any scheduling tools. So I don't schedule out tweets in advance. Or Facebook post in advance. Everything we do is done by me in real time, which is a little crazy. But 
it's all meant to be very authentic. I try not to, unless we have, sometimes we have to be kind of salesy because there's a certain promotion we have to tell people about within a limited window, like get your tickets to this event by eight o'clock tonight. Here's the link. Okay. You know, that's, that has to be what it is. Um, but I try to really hold a megaphone to the voices in our store and say, here are all the books that our actual real live booksellers are reading. Here's a picture of this author who was here last night signing books and we have signed copies and they're really great. Here's an article that I just found on, you know, wherever the New Yorker about books. And I think you guys would like it because whatever I try to make it human and authentic. And I try to make sure that it's growing organically. I think there's such a, there's kind of a dark, backlash side to any of the tips and tricks you read about. If you Google like tips for growing your following, there are things you can do. Like you can tag 50 people in every post you do to bring attention to it. Eventually that becomes obnoxious. <laughs> you know, there's, there are certainly tricks that probably work to like grow your numbers, but I don't know that I think they come across as tricks. And so right. I just try to make it personal and authentic. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think the beautiful thing is that it does allow introverts, many yeah. of whom are connected with books, to kind of get out there a little bit more yeah. without feeling too exposed. It's not like, you know, I'm assuming like 15, 10, 15 years ago, maybe even less, you, mm -hmm. you, you just had to go out there and be at, you know, every worst nightmare of being in a party with a bunch of people you don't know and being like, hi, I like books. Do you like books? Like, I'm just like, I go into a cold sweat. Right. But um, but this allows people to talk to other people in ways yeah. that feel more fun. Yeah, it enables you to kind of find the people at the party who you would want to talk to anyway. Yeah, so. I love it. And has that changed since you've got a book or you're just still like, I'm a real person and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it for um, yourself? For myself, for my own things, it's, it's pretty much the same. I mean, yeah, I'm still a person. <laughs> And it worked. I, I'm not all that big and famous now that I have that one cartoon book. <laughs> yeah, I'm but still, you're an author. You are an me. author and a TV host. That is amazing. I have, yeah, there are a lot of jobs. But it's, you know, I love social media. I love when people get on a, like a thread starts between two people who are like, oh my gosh, I just finished this book. It was great. And the other person's like, yeah, it really was. And then some third person's like, you guys like that too. So did I. And then it becomes this like never ending thread with 12 people on it all talking about it. That just, that warms my nerdy little heart. I love it. Oh yeah. It's so great. I love how you can get book recommendations. Mm -hmm. So many places. I mean, as evidenced by the state of my house, but it is good to, it, it's heartwarming to see that books is something that drives this rather than yeah. everyone who seemed to think, oh, no one's going to read the books anymore. Right. Because yeah. they're so busy on their beep boop gadgets. Right. But the beep boop gadgets are all like, this book was good. Go get it. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it does make me happy. Sends you right back into the bookstore. Exactly. It's which is where we all belong. All part of our big plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been awesome, and I have loved talking about books, and I've, that is such an exciting list. And the concept of book pairings, I think we might need to pursue that further. Do it. Yes, absolutely. I'm trying to think of if there's anybody I forgot to mention. There's so many books. Oh, have you read the Colson Whitehead yet? No. Not, no, you haven't, because you don't have any time. You're doing too many things. When you get to it, at some point, the Underground Railroad, 
by Colson mm-hmm. Whitehead. He's by the time this episode airs, he will have already been in Nashville, but he's coming next week. I'm so excited. Yes. He's so smart and all his books are so different. Anyway, yeah, book That's pairing. Awesome. Reading is great. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll have a big show notes on this one. Good. And I will I will send you all the links and everything that I'm supposed to do. Amazing. Thanks again to Muse Monthly for sponsoring the show. Remember, if you use the code SECRET00 with SECRET all caps, you can get 10% off your subscription at musemonthly.com. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.